Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, October the 25th, 2023. It is currently 1.54 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. I apologize for that. I'm I'm sitting here trying to drink water while giving an introduction. I apologize. Right before we went live on the air, I started like, I'm losing my voice, so I apologize. So let, let's do that again. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome. It is Wednesday, October the 25th, 2023. It is now 1.55 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. See, that works much better when you're not t- trying to drink water while talking. I, I, I hear that that's a, that's, a, I, I think that that's the way you're supposed to broadcast. I don't know. I mean, I mean, who makes the rules anyway? No, I do apologize for that, but I hope you're ready because it is time. I know it's been a very long time. In fact, let me tell you how long it's been. It has been, the last time we were together was September the 30th, 2023. September the 30th, 2023 was the last broadcast we did in our ongoing series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. We are calling this series Understanding Law and Gospel. It now contains 110 hours of of teaching, basically, over 100 hours of teaching, 110 sermons. Each one of those is basically an hour long. Well, some of them may be shorter because some of the the redo series has been a little bit shorter, but even those tend to push close to an hour. So over 100 hours of teaching, and hopefully it's been beneficial. I believe one of the most important issues facing the American evangelical, fundamental, non-Catholic church in the United States of America is, well, a proper distinction between law and gospel. I think that distinction has been obliterated in church after church after church after church after church, and we have spent hour after hour trying to help you understand that proper distinction, and I think it's been beneficial. If you have not been with us, we are currently doing a law and gospel redo because we were using the book. God's No and God's Yes, The Proper Distinction Between Law and Gospel by C.F.W. Walther, right? We were making good progress through this book. Then I felt that the series kind of jumped the shark, right? I, I, I know using a phrase about a Happy Days episode, and that phrase means when a series jumps the shark, you've kind of lost the plot, lost the narrative, and you've lost the audience. And so what I thought is, we'll stop, try to get everyone back by doing a redo, going back over the theses that are found in this book, going over, because there's 25 theses about law and gospel here, and I thought going back through thesis number one, thesis number two, thesis number three, thesis number four, that it would be beneficial, it would be a good review, and it would get us all back on track. To change it up, we started utilizing some broadcasts from Issues ETC, a Lutheran radio slash podcast, a radio program slash podcast, where they're doing their own series on the proper distinction uh, between law and gospel, using the writings of CFW, CFW Walther and his 25 theses, the ones that we're using. And I thought it would be a unique, interesting way to go back and recover what we've already covered, but in a different way. And that would then get us 
caught up. So we've been doing that. There have been positives and negatives in doing it this way. The Issues ETC program is a radio program. So they have commercial breaks all the time. So some of their segments are only like 12 minutes, 10 minutes long. And then they go to another commercial. We are only using for our purpose the com- the sections between the commercials, right? So we're just using one episode per one segment. And sometimes their segments are really good. Sometimes their segments, I'm kind of like, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know what to do. So, uh, but all of them have been interesting, I think, and hopefully beneficial. So we're going to jump back in. We're going to go back to Issues ETC where they are, I I believe they're about to cover thesis number nine. I believe they're about to cover thesis number nine. We're going to find out. Remember, I don't review the audio in advance. And the reason I don't do that is I like this to be like we're listening to it together and we're discussing. So I never know what's getting ready to happen. I'm just as much in the dark as you, which makes it a little bit more exciting, but hopefully makes it much more personable and conversational. Instead of me just saying, I listened to this clip and I just, no, it's, it's like, let's listen to it together and figure it out. So I've got my copy of God's No, God's Yes by CFW Walther right here. I have a Bible. I have a pencil. So ladies and gentlemen, let's jump in. Are you ready? I know it's been, I know it's been since September. It's almost been a full month. So we've got to get back to thinking about the proper distinction between law and gospel. And I can't think of a better time to do that than right now. And I hope you're beginning to understand. You mess up the proper distinction between law and gospel. You literally annihilate your ability to understand the Bible correctly. That's how important this subject is. But are you ready? Here we go. Oh, oh, wait, one, 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 wait, 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 don't sh- sh- stop, 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 stop. They're just coming out of playing a hymn. And so he's going to mention the hymn, but I cannot play the hymn because of copyright issues when it comes to music. Man, that, that copyright rules are very strict when it comes to music. So I'm not going to play the music. It may be just a little bit of it right at the end, but then he's going to come in. He's going to mention the hymn, what the hymn is about, which is going to, and obviously they're using it as a setup for the thesis they're going to talk about, uh, about the proper distinction between law and gospel. So that's the setup. Here we go. That's stanzas three and four of the hymn, The Day is Surely Drawing Near. It's about judgment. There's not any good news in that particular set of stanzas. So why does C.F.W. Walther, writing about law and gospel, say that no gospel should be given to secure sinners? What's the danger there? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Live on this Monday afternoon, July the 17th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Pastor Will Whedon will join us for part nine of our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. Then we'll be looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Pastor Will Whedon is Assistant Pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of the books, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Well, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Todd. Joy to be with you we're, today. We're just picking up smack dab in the middle of the week. 
with with Walther one Friday evening. He is speaking about the eighth thesis. We'll need to review what that is. And then he's not done, and he needs to carry it over into a second evening's lecture. What have we said so far, and what are we going into? All right, so CFW Walther obviously spent a lot of time on thesis number eight, and it sounds like we may be spending some more time in thesis number eight. If you look in, at least in God's No, God Yes, thesis number, let's see. Yeah, thesis number eight, yes, takes up one, two, three, four, five, six pages. It takes up six pages, basically, or five and a half to be technical. But thesis number eight, if you don't remember, is this. Let me read it. In the fourth place, the word of God is not rightly divided when the law is preached to those who are already in terror on account of their sins or the gospel to those who live securely in their sins. You've got to, when law and gospel, the proper distinction between the law and gospel, not only do you need to know the difference between the two, you need to know when to use the two. And there is a time that you, the uh, the word of God is not rightly divided when the law is preached to those who are already in terror and account of their sins. Someone who's already broken over their sin. They know they sinned. They know they messed up. They don't need any more law. Right? They don't need to hear the law. They need to hear the gospel. But those who are living securely in their sins and are not broken in our, they do need to hear the law. And so you need to know when the proper time. So CFW Walther has already talked a lot about this. They're going to return to it. Let's just see what they have to say, what more they add, and we're just going to jump in. Again, you you may have to go back and listen uh, to our last episode for fuller context, but I think they're going to do a review here and we should be in a, a good shape. So let's find out. Well, it's important to note maybe that uh, the context of this is that it was the 12th of December that we were li- looking at last time. Then you have like Christmas and the Christmas break and the celebration of Epiphany, and then school resumes. So it's when school resumes after Christmas has been celebrated and Epiphany is celebrated that he delivers the lecture we're going to look at today. What he dealt with last time was only the first half of the eighth thesis that the word of God is not rightly divided when the law of God is preached to those who are already in terror because of their sins. In other words, once a person is in terror because of their sins, you don't keep pounding on them with the law. He given proof of this as 1 Timothy 1, verses 8 to 10, and Isaiah 61, 1 to 6, and he backed it up with numerous examples from our Lord Jesus' own ministry. Remember, he talked about the sinful women of Luke 7 and John 8, Zacchaeus, the prodigal son, even the thief on the cross. And then he also just added a little side note that the apostles did the same thing, as you can see with the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. Then, remember, he just had two really long letters that he wanted, well, one really long letter and a shorter one, which he wanted to share from Dr. Luther regarding how a pastor is supposed to console penitents who are despairing because of their sins. And in those letters, you saw Luther practicing exactly what Walter described there. He wasn't giving these guys an ounce of law. What he gave them instead was the sweet consolation of the gospel and bid them to look upon the finished work of the Son of God. That was a beautiful first part of the lecture. But what we're getting ready to look at now, the second part, he's going to pick up after his usual thoughtful and Now, I hate to interrupt right in the middle of a sentence, but I'm going to interrupt right in the middle of a sentence. 
If you have not gone to theologycentral.net, shame on you. It's the best website in the history of the of the world. Okay, maybe that's a little bit not true. Okay, that's a lot not true. Go to theologycentral.net, go to the blog section, and there is Martin Luther's letter to Spalatin, however however you say his name. Spalatin, I think is how you say his name. Um, go read the letter to Martin that Martin Luther wrote to Spalatin because it is a beautiful letter about giving someone who's broken over their sin the gospel. Go read Martin Luther's letter to Spalatin. I know it's getting ready to be October the 31st and we'll talk and and that's when everyone talks about Luther's 95 theses. Under a great wonderful but before you read that, go read Martin Luther's letter to Spalatin because I think it gives a different a different feeling, a different vibe of Martin Luther that is typically misunderstood. And so I think you should go read it. Please go theologycentral.net. Go to the blog section. Again, Martin Luther's letter to Spalatin. Please go read it. All right? Please go read it. And if I'm saying Spalatin incorrectly, you can you can correct me there. All right. Sounds good. All right. Now, I know we just interrupted his sentence, but he just mentioned those letters. I wanted to look it up really. I was trying to look it up as fast as I could while he was talking to go, yes, the letter is still there. So it's right there. Please look at it. It's right here. It's all there. You can read the whole thing right there on the website. You don't have to go anywhere else. So go find it. Uh, Okay, good. Someone uh, has said this letter has become a regular topic in my family. Well, I expect uh, some pay for that because I don't think without me you would know about the letter. So I would like uh, your family to take a donation and I want 75000 Okay, I'm joking. No, that is that is awesome. If, if the letter has become a regular topic, um, that's a regular item in your family. That's amazing. That Because sometimes when I do this podcast, I don't know if I'm accomplishing anything. So it's always good to see that, hey, I, I let someone know about this letter and they're, they read it and they're talking about it. So I think everyone should because I think it's absolutely amazing. All right. Now, let's go back and see what we're going to learn here and pick this up. I know I just cut this man off right in the middle of him talking, but I had to, I had to get in a plug for the letter. All right, here we go. Practical intro with the second half of the thesis that if the law is not to be preached to a broken and contrite sinner at the same time, the gospel is not to be preached to anyone who is what Walter would call secure in their sins. So maybe that's a good place to pick up, Todd, to sort of define what's a secure sinner all about. So he says here, and I'm jumping ahead just a little bit, no, the gospel is not intended for secure sinners. That notion of a secure sinner as opposed, and you use the term as well, as opposed to what other kind of sinner? Because we're all sinners. Right. And the distinction between sinners is not the, the degree of their sin or anything. It's clearly their attitude toward their sin. So if you think about a secure sinner's opposite, that would be what we've just been studying in the previous lecture, a person who is truly not just troubled but terrified by the wrath of God, thinking about their sins, and they really would be free of them. They want to be free of them, and they're crying out for his mercy. The secure sinner, this is the person who has made peace with his or her sin. They excuse it as no big deal 
And thus, they no longer bother fighting against giving in to that sin and doing so by the grace of the Holy Spirit. Instead, they simply decide to indulge it, to go along with it. The usual way I describe the secure sinner is that horrible phrase, God loves to forgive and I love to sin such a deal. That's a secure sinner talking when the person just dismisses their sin out of hand and is not troubled by it simply because they think they've got forgiveness in their back pocket like a get-out-of-hell-free card. He has a few preliminary remarks Yeah, talking about what really makes a good preacher. And he begins by saying that you will not make Christians out of your hearers by rhetoric. Right. He really wants to stress that it's, it's the power of the Word of God that's going to make a Christian or not. It's not just how something is said. He's going to be very clear by the time he's done this lecture. I'm not telling you guys that you shouldn't study rhetoric and how to do things, how to speak well. He says, if you add great gifts of spokesmanship to, to the, the preaching of the gospel, that's wonderful. But he pointed out that many times God does mighty things through a humble man who doesn't have those sort of rhetorical gifts because he just speaks the word of God. And he speaks it plainly and simply and directly to his people. Okay, we're going to talk about that in a second. We'll talk about that in a second. I, I am not on board with some of that as, as others may be, but we will see. Someone in the chat, though, said, oh my, but I'm both the terrified and secure t- sinner at times. I never know which I really am. That makes, they said that makes sense. I, I, look, I can't speak for other people. Unless you come to a point where you're like, hey, I'm going to indulge this in and I just don't care. I don't feel even, I feel no shame. I feel no guilt. I'm not bothered by it. I'm not struggling. I mean, you just go full blown. It's like, it's one thing to think in your mind all kinds of horrible things, but someone who's a secure sinner would be like, you know, I've been I've been fantasizing and thinking about going to Vegas and doing all these horrible things. I've already bought a ticket. I'm, I just got back from Vegas and I'm going back next week. No guilt, no shame. If if you've reached that point, then I think you're a secure sinner. Now, I do believe there we are secure sinners in a different way. I, I am a secure sinner in this fact. I'm a sinner. I sin, but I know I am secure in my salvation. Right? I know that. But that doesn't mean I still don't feel the weight and the guilt and the struggle and the fighting against and saying, oh, okay, try not to do this. Okay, don't do this. All right. Stop thinking that as long as that struggle is there, I don't think that's the secure center that Walther had in mind. I don't think that's the secure center that Luther or any of the Lutheran theologians had in mind. I don't think, I think the secure center is just like, hey, I'm forgiven. I literally can do whatever I want and I don't even think about it. I don't even feel bad about it. I don't even feel guilty about it. I literally don't care. That, now I think there's sometimes we may act like we're more secure in our sin, but I think deep down, I, this is my own feelings, is is if when you lay down or at, or at a moment of quiet, you, you start you start feeling that guilt and that struggle going, man, what am I doing? Why have I done that? Okay, I got to try. That's not a secure sinner. 
You, you're feeling the weight of it. You're, you're fighting it. It's more the Romans seven and the things I want to do. I don't, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Lord, what is wrong with me? Okay. That's not a secure sinner. That's just a normal sinner. Okay. Because that's the reality of the Christian life. We struggle. We struggle. But so then when I start feeling that weight, I do find security in the fact that I have a righteousness that comes by faith, a righteousness that I'm secure in that righteousness. But then at the same time, I know, hey, I, I got to remember what God says and he tells me to pursue this and I've got to feel guilty about it. I think there's a balance there. But I I, I think, I mean, there's, there's probably a moments in time in all of our lives that we do feel a little bit secure in our sin to some level, right? Sometimes there, I think there's times in our lives where we don't, we don't feel too guilty, but I think for our believer, that only lasts for a little bit. It only lasts for a little bit. And then sooner or later, it's like when you read the Psalms and David talks about how he was that he was basically falling apart and feeling guilty. You may not have been able to see it externally, but internally he felt the weight of what he had done. And I think that that's the reality. We deep down we know, when we know that we know and we feel the weight of it. That's not the secure sinner. The secure sinner doesn't feel the weight, doesn't feel the guilt, don't doesn't feel the shame. Literally just doesn't care. Right? It's the child that you walk in and go, "What are you doing? Do you see what you've done? Yeah, you, you you broke the lamp or you 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 colored all over the wall. What have you done?" And they look at you and they kind of roll their eyes like, "Whatever." whatever, whatever. And, and then 24 hours later, 48 hours later, 72 hours later, they don't ever come back and go, Hey, I'm really sorry. You know, I, I, I didn't mean, you know, I'm, I'm sorry what I did. And I, you know, I was wrong. Okay. Well, see now that shows they felt it, but if they never like, yeah, they still don't care. They just still like, whatever. I don't care. I'm, I may color on the wall tomorrow. I may break three more lamps. I just don't care. Now that, that's a whole different level of, 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 uh, being a secure sinner. And I think maybe sometimes we feel that way for a moment, for a brief moment, but we do feel it later. And once we feel it later, we got to remind ourselves first and foremost that we have a righteousness that comes by faith. Okay, good. There gives my forgiveness. And then because of God's great grace and his great mercy and his goodness, hopefully then we are motivated then to forget that which lies behind because it's been forgiven. It's under the blood of Christ. And then as we talked about last night, then we press forward and we move forward. So I think that's the, the proper way of understanding it. He mentions at the start, Wait before he goes on. Let me move to my second point. So there's that point about the secure center. Next, he talks about rhetoric. I know it's so, I know we so romanticize this idea, all right? So this is the way we view it. I don't want a preacher who uses clever words and he's a great speaker. I just want a preacher who will open the Bible and preach God's word and its truth. That's all I want. We all claim that. Oh, but come on now. Come on now. Come on now. We have clear preferences on what we want in a preacher. We want a preacher. We want preachers who speak a certain way. It's a great because he was talking about Walter and about rhetoric. And, and he was saying that, you know, what Walter's saying is nothing wrong about learning about rhetoric and learning how to be a good speaker. But, but God will bless the person who may not be a good speaker, who will just open the word 
and preach. Look, there may be examples of that in history, but if you just find someone who's not a very good speaker, they stumble, they fumble, they're monotone, they don't, they don't know anything about inflection and, and, and and they just kind of just stumble through the text. They may be the best at preaching the text. In other words, their preaching may be actually more accurate and more true, but I think the reality is as much as we like to romanticize that idea, you're going to listen and go, oh, oh man, okay, I can't listen to that anymore. I can't. It's boring. It's driving me crazy. It's monotonous. It's monotone. It's dry. It's dead. It's like, come on, buddy, wake up. Are, are you that bored with preaching? And I'm just going to be honest with you. There's times I've done that. There's times I don't, I don't, I know that's fleshly, but there's times I'll be listening. I'll be like, Man, are you that bored with what you're preaching? You got no passion. You got no zeal. You got no fire. What is wrong with you? But then there are other times people may be yelling and screaming the whole time. And I'm like, could you take a breath and calm down? Because we have our personal likes and dislikes. I know in theory, I I, I wish I could say this. I wish I could say this. In theory, I wish I could say there's two churches. One church, the man is not very good at speaking. He fumbles, stumbles. I sometimes have no clue where he's going, but you know what? He's preaching, he's preaching the word of God accurately. And this church over here, oh man, that's a good speaker. He has me on the edge of my seat. He has my attention, but his theology is not so good. I wish I could say, I'm going to pick the preacher who's more accurate versus the one who's far more engaging. And I listen more. I wish I would say, but the reality is, I can't say that. I can't say that. Maybe you can. And if you can, God bless you. I just don't know if I can. All right. So let's see if he talks more about rhetoric and what he's trying to tell these young preachers. Remember, these are they're they're borrowing from the lectures of CFW Walther to his students. Who are and who are becoming, you know, Lutheran ministers. So that's why he's talking about what it be, means to be a good preacher. So here we go. The big temptation is always to sort of cut out of your preaching the thing that's not popular at the time, the thing that will make people squirm a bit and will result in your life being made a bit uncomfortable. So. He's like, you can't do that, brothers. You're being sent out to proclaim the whole counsel of God. So don't be trying to just sort of soft pedal any part of what God's word proclaims. Okay. Now, we got to talk about this part. It is sad. It is pathetic to me. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to get up, probably go in a full-blown rant here, right? I mean, go full-blown just rant. To me, it is sad. It is pathetic. It is disgusting. It is discouraging. It is depressing that preachers of all ages have always been faced with this challenge. I'm going to cut this out of my preaching because if it does, if I don't cut it out, it's only going to make my life miserable. It's only going to make my life unbearable. It's going to cause me to lose people in this church. So I can't talk about that. 
It is sad, but that is the hard reality of being a pastor. You know at times, oh boy, oh no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Just give the, look, I'm getting ready to say some really blunt things, but I, I feel, oh, do I feel this is true? That the average person sitting in the pew, they don't get, they don't care. They could care less. All they want you to do is get a little devotional, come up with a couple of nice little points that sound good and encouraging. Make sure you have a good illustration or a good story here or there. Make good eye contact. Use inflection. Be interesting. Be entertaining. Give them, get them out within 30 to 35 minutes. They will be happy. But if the minute you say we're going to dig in and we're going to take apart, we're going to question and we're going to challenge and we're going to cover things that's going to make us all uncomfortable, sooner or later, you will face the consequences as a pastor. People will walk out on you before you can even say anything. And because the people want what they want and you don't give them what they want, they'll go find what they want while they all claim that they're godly and they're spiritual. The whole game sometimes is disgusting to me and it makes me want to throat burn the entire system down because a bunch of people who sit there and say, feed me what I want. And if you don't, either we get rid of you or we make your life miserable or we go find another church. Because you're there to serve me. And, and Christians say, oh, no, no, I don't mean that. I don't mean that. Give me a break. I don't know how many times I get that, how many times in my past ministry, you get that phone, the phone rings on a Monday. The phone rings on a Monday and you're a pastor. It's like, oh, no. It's like, it's like an amber alert going off. You know something bad has happened. And you look up and you know it's someone who goes to your church. Inevitably, I know what's going It's not going to be an encouraging phone call. It's not going to be, hey, I was looking over my sermon notes and I've got some more questions. No one's asking questions. No one's calling to encourage you. It's going to be like, we need to talk. And I know what's needing to talk. They did not like something. And inevitably, whenever they start telling me what they didn't like and what's the problem is, I'll say, so let me just ask you this question. If I change this to please you, what if it ple- doesn't please someone else in the church? And then they will always go, well, I'm not telling you what to preach. I'm not. They always will start backtracking. I'm not like, no, man up and be honest. You want me to give you what you want and you don't care about anybody else in the church. And you know why I know you don't care? Because you're on your way out the door. You're going to walk out and you don't care what happens to the church, me or anybody else, because it's all about you. Yeah. And it's sad that pastors have been tempted forever to go, you know what? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's just not worth the trouble. It's not worth the heartache. It's not worth the headache. Just give the people what they want. It's almost like you have to come to an agreement. Hey, I'll give you what you want. You give me a salary. And then I can go study doctrine and theology in private. Never share to you what I'm actually studying or doing because, you know, you don't want to know. And then I'll be studying and I can, and, and then I'll just give you what you want. And it's just crazy that all the way back to Walter, he's like, hey, hey, you're tempted sometimes to cut out of your sermons, but you're, you're actually sent to proclaim the whole word. Well, you know what? It's easy to tell preachers what you should do. It's a hard thing being a preacher, living that life, watching people leave. Watching people leave, watching people leave, watch people leave. You just, at some point you're like, it's not worth, it's not worth it. What, what did I gain? 
What did I gain by trying my best to be faithful and honest and, and, and tell the text as it goes? No, 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 no. It, it, it always backfires. It never is, is advantageous to do so. Until, unless you've got a big enough population around you that you can offend a hundred people and drive them out, but then you can find 200 people who are in agreement with the way you do things. Now, if you're in a situation like that, more power to you. Do what you're going to do, lose the hundred, gain 200 who wants what you have to offer. But I can say if you're a small church, that may be the end of your ministry. So, I just, I just hate hearing a lecture. What was it, the 1800s, whenever this was? It's just hard to wrap my mind around. Um, the pastors were, have always been tempted to cut out of their sermon. What, what, what's going to rock the boat? Just don't rock the boat. Don't rock. Just keep it nice. Keep it calm. Keep it simple. And I understand. Like sometimes I wish I could do that. I, I, if I could look back over my ministry and be like, where would I be today? Where would I be today if I could have just shut up and stopped studying and stopped questioning? Man, I could have a more popular podcast. I could probably be making money off the podcast. My church would probably be thriving, but I've always been that idiot who won't stay and I won't color within the lines. All right, let's continue. And then he says, a second requisite for really effective preaching. I really love this one. He says, it's not only that the preacher has believed the things that he's preaching to others, but that his heart is filled with the truths that he is proclaiming so that when he enters the pulpit, he has this ardent desire to pour out from his heart into the ears of his hearers and into their hearts what he has grasped. And he, he even uses this word. He says, he must have an enthusiastic grasp in the right sense of the word. He means not like the theological error of enthusiasm. He just means it in the normal way people understand the term enthusiasm. He must be enthusiastic in his grasp of what he hears. And then his hearers are going to get the impression that the words that are coming from his lips, they are a flame from a soul that is on fire. That's a beautiful description that says, you know, hey, man, if – let me put it to you this way. Have you ever sat through a sermon, Todd, and you wondered, did the guy even listen to what he said? Because he sure didn't sound very joyful about the good news he was proclaiming to the world. I mean, I, I'm not saying that he should have been emoting in the pulpit. I am saying that you do want to be a genuine witness to the joy of the gospel when you're preaching and a genuine witness to the sheer terror of the law when you are preaching it. I would say this, what I want is a preacher who's actually excited about what he's teaching. He's genuinely interested in it. He's genuinely passionate about it. It's, he's, he's really wanting to do so. He's not been so beat down that it's just like time to make the donuts. I know our old, old commercial, look it up on YouTube, the time to make the donuts, just like going through the routine. Oh, oh, time to make a sermon. Write down three points. All right, brother. And then, you know, you just kind of put on the smile. Good morning, brothers and sisters. We're so glad you joined us here today. Like, you know, reading from a, reading like, you know, from a, 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 a teleprompter, you know, good morning, brothers and sisters. We're so glad you joined us here today at 
What's the name of this church again? Oh, yeah, da, da, da. Oh, and we're so good. glad you're here. And today we're going to be studying the, the wonderful gospel of Mark, and it's going to be transformative to your life. And it just sounds like that there, someone handed them a script. I like when people are like, oh, man, and I was working on this, and I had this question, and I was struggling with this, and what about this, and what about this? This is crazy. And you can tell that they, they're just as engaged in it, like, well, hopefully as as much as, maybe even more so than the people in the pew. Now, it has nothing to do with the proper distinction between law and gospel, but they're bringing this up because it's a part of CFW Walther's thing. Now, he, he says that that the terror of the gospel and the joy of the gospel should be something that has captured the heart of the minister so that when he articulates either the terror of the law, I should say, the terror of the law and the joy of the gospel, that that emotion comes through. And, and I, I do understand that. Let's continue. There's a way that you have respect for a knife that cuts pretty deeply, if you know what I mean. You handle it in a certain way. He says, incalculable damage is done if the consolations of the gospel are offered to secure sinners, or if one preaches to a multitude in such a manner that secures sinners in the audience, by their preacher's fault, imagine that the comfort of the gospel is meant for them. Why is it so dangerous that the gospel would be spoken to people who are still secure in their sins? Because then they're treating it like that get-out-of-hell-free card. They're sticking it in the back of their pocket as something, I can count on this, I'm going to get out of hell free because of this, and then they continue in their own rebellion and opposition against God. In other words, they think that that I don't know how to I'm, I'm, I shouldn't try a sports analogy. You, you guys are going to laugh at me, but it's like grabbing the opponent's jersey and putting it on, and then playing for your team out on the field. You're actually being against the one that you say that that you are for, and it's very dangerous to depart this life. If you believe you've got a get out of hell free card, when in fact, in your heart, you've been an enemy against God the whole time. You've said throughout your life, my will be done, my will alone, not thine, my will, do it my way. If we go to death and judgment with that, that's really bad. And if we go to it thinking that we are scot-free because we misunderstood what the preacher said, then that preacher is going to have something to answer for to God on the last day. That's a scary thing. Let me just offer kind of a counter here. I know I used to condemn and speak very negatively of so-called Christians who supposedly have a get-out-of-hell-free card. And sometimes I may even make references to that. Let's make it very clear, though. The gospel is a get-out-of-hell-free card. Now, you may not want to hear that, but it is. Because by faith alone, you have eternal life. By faith alone, you get out of hell free. Because it's by faith alone. You don't do anything. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. You don't have to do anything. It costs Christ, but for you, it is free. It is free. Now, I do understand that someone who is secure in their sin, they don't care. It's not so much that they think they have a get out of, to me, a secure sinner is not someone who just thinks they have a supposedly get out of hell free card. I think a secure sinner is someone who doesn't care if there even is a hell. They're just not worried about any of it. They're only worried about themselves. They just don't care. 
Because in some ways, whenever I know I've sinned and I know I've messed up, I feel that guilt and shame. So I know I'm not secure. And in that sense, I'm not this kind of secure sinner that doesn't care. But at the same time, you know what? I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm glad I got my get out of hell free card, which is the finished work of Jesus Christ. That is my security. That is my, that is my stability. That is what I fall back on. That, that, having that doesn't mean then you're like, well, I just don't care. I'm going to do whatever I want. No, when you, you can get that, you have that get out of hell free card. At the same time, you can feel like, but I know that I'm a sinner and I feel guilty about it. So you got to be careful how you word that because anyone who says, well, well, I'm, I'm saved by grace alone through faith alone and a roundabout way, they're, they're talking about a get out of hell free card because you, you don't, you cannot go to hell because Christ paid for, for all your sins. So I think there's got to be a, a balance there. All right, but let's continue. He turns to a number of scriptures about this that probably would be good to look at. Is that okay? Talk about those. He starts with uh, Matthew 7, verse 6. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he advises his disciples, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So Walter has a very simple explanation of that. He says, what's meant by what's holy? That's nothing but the word of Christ. What's meant by the pearls? The consolation of the gospel, grace, righteousness, salvation, which it proclaims. Of all these things, we are not to speak to dogs, that is to the enemies of the gospel, nor swine, that is to such as want to remain in their sins and are seeking their heaven and their bliss in the filth of their sins. In other words, oh, yeah, I'll take heaven. Sure, if I don't have to give up the sin in my life right now, I'll, I'll happily take it and I'll, again, slip it in my back pocket and have it there on the ready when I need it. But until I need it, I'm going to stick with this world. Whoa, oh, oh, we got to jump in. Oh, oh, oh. I started talking before I had the mic on. Okay, all right. Oh, okay. Got it. Oh, okay. This is where I get so frustrated here within the Christian world, even within Lutheranism. It's, it's so built into our DNA, we almost slip back into a law-based idea. Did you hear what he said there? Hey, don't give to the dogs. Don't give to the, um, let me read the exact verse. Don't give what is holy unto the dogs or cast your pearls before the swine. And those are the people who are the enemies of the gospel. Those are the people who aren't willing to give up their sin. Whoa, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. Because now you're back to the concept that, hey, hey, I've got the gospel for you, but I'm not going to give you the gospel until you tell me you're ready to give up your sin. What does that mean you're ready to give up your sin? I mean, you got to stop sinning? Well, what people say, well, no, you don't have to stop sinning. You just got to be willing to stop sinning. Well, what does that mean that I'm willing to stop sinning? Because even when you give me the gospel, I'm going to continue to sin because people are going to continue to sin. I, what I think it's the idea is when this usually gets into a big debate over repentance. And I think what this means is when we tell someone to repent, it's not someone who's saying, I'm willing to give up my sin. It's someone saying, I am changing my thinking 
to be in line with God about my sin. From this point forward in my Christian life, I'm going to understand and acknowledge that that is sin. I'm going from this point forward, I'm acknowledging that what God calls sin is sin. So whenever I covet something that I'm not supposed to covet, I know it's sin. I may still do it, but I'm going to have this point forward at least acknowledge that it's a sin. When I, when I will not forgive, if I will not love my enemy, if I will not turn the other cheek, I will at least from this point forward acknowledge it's a sin. We always treat it as, no, you've got to be willing to give it up. You can't have the gospel until you tell me you're willing to give it up. And if you truly got the gospel, then you've giving it up. But no one's going to truly give up their sin because they're going to truly sin. They're going to continue to sin. And anyone who says they're not going to continue to sin is a liar. So then we come and try to modify it going, well, but you'll sin less. Well, giving up your sin, it doesn't mean sin less. It would mean sinless. <laughs> so, so no. To me, the way this works is if someone, quote unquote, is a dog or a swine, they just hate it. They hate the gospel. They despise it. They want nothing to do with it. Well, then you don't run around trying to throw it at them and, and throw it at them and, 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 and bother them with it and, and shove it at them. And, and no, no, at that point, you got to realize, okay, okay, pray for them, live out the gospel, show love, compassion, be there for them. It's not that you, 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 why are you throwing it at people who don't want it? If someone makes it very clear that that's not what they want, then you, you, okay, you, you hold that precious thing, right? And you try to live it in front of them to the best of your ability, acknowledging to them that you still are a sinner and being open and honest with them. But we got to be very careful the way we word that. These are people who are unwilling to give up their sin for the gospel. No one gives up their sin for the gospel. I don't care what you tell me. You say, well, no, no, I used to do this. And when I became a Christian, I stopped doing that. And you do 50,000 other things. So you're still sinning. It's great that you stopped that one thing. And we should always press towards trying. But the reality is the gospel is brought to anyone who is a sinner. And we call them to repent and believe. Repent change your mind, change your mind about God, change your mind about self, change your mind about sin. You now believe that God is real and holy and righteous and that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. You're changing your mind. You're changing a mind about yourself. You now realize you are a sinner and you are guilty and you deserve hell and you're changing your mind about sin because what you used to think was okay, you now realize isn't okay. You're wrong and right. It's now being determined by God. You're changing your mind. Now, guess what? Once you change your mind about it, then you'll never truly be a secure sinner because from that point forward, you will realize... Yeah, I know I'm sinning and I feel guilty about it and I feel shame about it because your thinking is in line with God's word. Doesn't mean your actions will be, but your thinking will be as far as acknowledging that what you're doing is wrong. That's, that's how we understand. To say that don't give your, the gospel to people who are not willing to give up their sin. What do you mean what not willing to give up their sin? Give up in what way? People almost create a system that makes it sound like you have to stop sinning before you get the gospel. But then they always come back and say, no, we're not saying that. We're just saying you can have the gospel, but you must be willing to give up your sin. And then we will know if you truly got the gospel because you will stop sinning and you'll start doing. And then once again, now you're looking for practical righteousness to prove that you've received imputed righteousness, which 
then that's that's the most ridiculous. You can't prove imputed righteousness based off action. What you look for is someone repented, have they changed their mind? All right, let's continue. That's the secure sinner. He says, the Lord Jesus warns us, don't do that. Don't take my precious gospel and toss it before people who are content in their sins. He's going to show some examples of that in the Lord's own ministry in a bit. Then he turns to Isaiah. And in chapter 26, verse 10, he reads, If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. So here he says, a wicked person who wants to remain in his sins, whether they be gross or refined, for the devil can buy men with the ropes of filthy gross sins, but also with such delicate threads as pride, envy, and lovelessness, such a wicked person, Isaiah says, does not behold the majesty of the Lord. He doesn't see what a great treasure is offered to him. He doesn't understand the doctrine of salvation by grace. Either he spurns it, or he shamefully misapplies it. He thinks, if mere faith is all that's necessary for my salvation, my sins too are forgiven, I remain such as I am then, and I shall still go to heaven. I too believe in the Lord Jesus. And Walter adds, the preacher who is to blame when secure sinners misapply the gospel, as in applying it to themselves, loads himself with a great guilt and responsibility before God. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest on this Monday, July the 17th, part nine of our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. On the other side, we will pick up in Proverbs 27, verse 7 and following. And that finishes that segment. That, that, that a little bit, oh, that ending there is so confusing uh, to me, um, the way that works. So let, let me make, again, I just want to try to stress this. When it comes to this proper distinction between law and gospel, yes, there are times you find a sinner who is completely secure in their sins and they don't care about anything. They do need to hear God's law. And there's sometimes you'll find a sinner who is broken over their sin and they need the gospel. That's pretty simple and straightforward. But you got to be very, 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 very careful, very careful when you make such decision and who to give what to. But you got to be very careful when you decide, nope, 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 they don't get the gospel because they're too secure in their sin. You got to be careful knowing if they're really secure in their sin because someone can appear to be very secure in their sin and, and externally, but internally, they're struggling and they're broken and they're struggling with guilt because God's law is written on the heart. So I think deep down, people always know when we are guilty to some level. I think we always know. So you got to be very careful when you come to this decision. Here, here's the way I try to, I've tried to put it in a more practical way. I've tried to put it in a more practical way. This is going to create great controversy but that's okay. This is going to create great controversy, but I'm going to say it anyway. Let's say there's a pride parade in your city, a pride day event where LGBTQ plus groups are going to be organized and the people are going to be there. Here are people who have come out claiming that they're LGBTQ, whichever one, 
claiming that this is who they are. This is their identity. This is who they are. This is what they're choosing to do. This is their life. And they they don't believe that what they're doing is wrong in any way, shape, or form. Many of them may have even come from Christian upbringings and, and churches and have left Christianity, and they're saying this is what they are. Now, sometimes Christians want to come there and yell and scream at them. You perverts are going to burn in hell. Okay, well, I don't know exactly what that's supposed to accomplish other than make you make you feel big and bad, but you're not really doing much. You're just yelling and screaming at people. Now, at that point, yes, do those people need to hear the law and the proper setting? They probably do. Who knows? Maybe deep down, some of them are still struggling with shame and guilt, and maybe they need the gospel. I don't know. But I know this. Sometimes Christians have got to be wise enough to go, "Mm, I don't know if I should just go there and yell and scream at them. I don't know if I'm really, am, am I in a sense taking that which is holy, that which is, which is, you know, as the Matthew passage is holy and pearls, and am I casting it upon people who don't want it? And they're just going to, in a sense, turn on me for no, for, for, for the very reason. Now, you may want that conflict so you can walk away feeling persecuted, and it's more about your own ego than it is anything else. But in some cases, you're not accomplishing anything. So there, that's when you need to demonstrate, I'm going to show them love, compassion, because we're supposed to even love our enemy. I'm going to show them love, compassion, mercy. I'm going to try to demonstrate that, hey, I'm a Christian. We may disagree here, but I'm just a, I'm a sinner in a different way than you are. We're all sinners. I'm saved by grace. And then try to handle it in a, in a godly way. I think this is where it requires great wisdom. It requires great wisdom into knowing when to present something and not to present it. And then when you present what you present. I think there's a time you don't say anything. You're not accomplishing anything. You're just going to make it worse. You're going to provoke. You're going to hurt. You're going to destroy relationships. You're not accomplishing anything other than you get to act like you're almighty and godly and holy as you attack, 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 or try to shove it down their throats. And you try to, you try to basically argue them into the kingdom. You're not doing anything good other than making yourself feel good. It can't be about you. It's supposed to be about them and you care about them. Now, there's times that then in a proper setting, yeah, sadly, they may need to hear the law. And then there's times they need to hear nothing but the gospel. And then there's times I don't think we say anything. And that's the when to speak, when not to speak. And when you speak, do you give law or do you give gospel? That's why the proper distinction between law and gospel is one of the highest arts of theology because you've got to know the, and have the wisdom to know when and what to do. And many Christians just always want to take a baseball bat and start smashing things. Right? And there's a big difference. This is very important. Between speaking to Someone who's an unbeliever, who doesn't even care, doesn't believe in the gospel at all. They don't, they don't care. You, you got to definitely know when to speak and not to speak there, right? Or you're not, not going to accomplish anything. You're, you're literally, in a sense, throwing it towards dogs or swine. You're, you're, you're literally, you're not, you're not thinking what you're doing. They're, they're not, they don't care about your God or your Bible. So you got you to gotta know how to approach that, when to approach that. There's a drast, drastic difference between speaking to someone who's completely lost 
versus speaking to someone who is saved. They're saved, but they're broken over their sin. They need the comfort of the gospel. Or they're saved, and maybe, maybe, just maybe, for, for whatever current reason, they're kind of pursuing a sin in a very rebellious, uncaring way. They may need to be pulled aside and be given a rebuke and the gospel, or given a rebuke and the law. There, there's three different groups here, right? The lost, maybe this, a lost secure sinner who just doesn't care. Some cases you got to know when to even say anything. And then you've got the saved who uh, they, they're broken into different camps. The saved who they know their sin, they're convicted, they're, they're broken, they feel guilty, they feel shame, they're struggling, then they need the comfort of the gospel. And then you've got uh, uh, Christians who just, maybe they're really, they're in sin and maybe maybe they're not really feeling the weight or the guilt the way they should. They need to hear the, the law. That's That's the... the the art of trying to know when it's kind of like medicine. It's, it's, it's a lot like medicine. You got to first identify the patient and, and diagnose the problem. And then you got to know what's the pr- correct way to, to proceed with each individual because their medical history can greatly impact which solution you offer at the time. The person's, there's a million things that can impact like, well, they got this, so I can't give them this medication. I got this problem. They can't do this. Or maybe, 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 maybe we need to take a different approach than a medi- than medication because of this or this or this or this. Or maybe instead of treating the symptom, we go to the underlying cause. You want to treat this or this or this, but the underlying cause is this. Let's go fix this. And then we won't need the medication to fix these other symptoms. Like there's a lot of different factors in medication. Well, the same thing is theologically and spiritual. Sometimes, and sometimes it's about diagnosing ourselves. We look in the mirror and go, man, where am I right now? Okay, I need to do this and I need to get back on this and I'm going to need to, and then you diagnose the problem and you move forward spiritually. It's a never ending cycle. All right, I'm going to stop right there. We will work on this continuing thesis. Again, the thesis that they're looking at is really thesis number Eight, uh, yeah, yeah, eight, which reads, In the fourth place, the word of God is not rightly divided when the law is preached to those who are already in terror on account of their sins or the gospel to those who live securely in their sins. Now, there was a lot there to process. Not all of it dealt with the proper distinction between law and gospel, dealt with a million issues, but hopefully out of those million issues, you will find one to really think about, meditate on, and of course, you can always email me about newsif at yahoo.com. That's news if at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great Wednesday. Meditate on the proper distinction between law and gospel. The Bible pop quiz is on Philippians 3. Go do that. Last night's devotional message was Philippians chapter 3. And there's a high probability that I'll be back in front of the microphone sometime between now and the time I go to bed. And if I do, I'll hopefully bring you something that will be beneficial. Thank you as always for listening and may God bless you.